Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. How's everybody? Y'all doing all right? I, I, I saw some really, really creative Christmas sweaters uh, when, uh, when you guys came in. Some of you guys went all out. I know for me, last year I got in trouble because I didn't wear a Christmas sweater on Christmas sweater day, so I got disciplined by our leadership team. So I, Luke found me a, a this Christmas sweater, and so I ordered it. I didn't want to get disciplined again this year. So next year, if you didn't get one this year, you get a free pass the first year, but then next year gets you one, and, and uh, Amazon will be happy. We'll, we'll support Amazon. Actually, you can do Amazon Smile and actually buy your Christmas sweater, and we get a percentage of it. So let's buy as many sweaters as we can. Uh, but just, just kidding. Uh, one of the things, before we dive into our new series, and I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about this month. Uh, we got a lot going on in the month of December, and Matt's already talked a little bit about it. We'll, we'll be announcing some things over the next few weeks uh, that are going to be going on. But one of the things that actually is coming up this Wednesday night is something new that we're starting called the City Walk Leadership Institute. And if you read that and think, well, I'm, I'm not a leader, so that doesn't affect me. If you have any influence, which everyone does, then this is for you. And what we're going to be doing is every kind of between our city group terms, we have four terms a year, and then we have a little break in between each one. We're going to offer some classes, parenting, leadership, different things that we think will be helpful. And so this Wednesday night, we're going to be offering, actually Steve's going to be teaching a class just on the subject of how to improve your personal time with God. And probably there's nobody in here that says, you know what, I got that one down. I could actually teach that class. All of us, including me, would say, hey, yeah, I, I would love to improve that time with God. And, and Steve's going to be teaching that. And so if you're interested in being a part of that, it's a free class. You can go on our app and you can sign up right there. And it's, I think, 645 to 8. It's going to be a good time. And so I just wanted to throw that out uh, so that you could, you could take advantage of that. One of the things that, and you probably have done this over the past few weeks, that our family does, uh, and like I said, you have some traditions, but we, at the, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, is kind of our time where we, the three families, Steve and Sue, and then my brother and sister-in-law, and then Lori and I and our family, we go get our Christmas tree. And so we get our Christmas tree, and, and this year, Lori, if you come to our house, Lori got to choose, and so there was a few of them we were looking at, and Lori really liked one, and we're like, all right, we'll, we'll go with moms. And so we, we get our Christmas tree, and then that kind of tradition is, I would totally mess up the lights on the tree, so I, I'm not allowed to touch the lights on the tree, neither are our kids. Mom puts the lights on the tree, and then I am in charge of putting the lights on the outside of the house. 
And then after mom puts the lights on the tree, then we're allowed to go and we put all the ornaments. But I, I put the lights on the outside of the house. And if you were to drive by my house tonight, you would not be as proud of the lights on my house as I am. I'm pretty proud of my lights. Actually, my dad helped me this year. I'm proud of my lights. And I I even joke with my kids like, you sure you guys don't want to go outside and just sit on the grass and look at them a little bit longer? Uh, Because I'm pretty proud, but you wouldn't be. Like, you're not going to drive by my house and be like, oh, whoa, stop. Get Y'all get your camera out. Let's go out and let's get a picture in front of this house because they did an amazing job. Like El Margarita, that neighborhood, you do that. You, you go, you get out of your car, and you take pictures because the houses are so you know, well-decorated. Well, you're not going to do that if you came to my house. You're, we're not going to be that house that enters that. You, you ever watch that show, The Great Christmas Light Fight? It's on about this time of year, and we're not going to enter that contest, and we're not going to be up for $50,000. There's a house, and I think the the one in Texas won. I think I actually have a picture of it. Uh, This is the house that recently won. Like, our house doesn't, like, these lights right here might be all the lights of my whole house, so nothing compared to this, but, and I'm guessing that you, like me, we don't want to pay the electric bill for this guy. Like, like that, we love driving by his house, and we love getting out and taking a picture, but none of us want to pay the electric bill that this guy's paying. But, but even, even if you're like a bah humbug person during Christmas, you don't want to pay the light bill, but you probably enjoy getting in the car with your family and, and kind of driving around and looking at lights. And and as you go looking at lights just like me, you're going to see some, you're going to see some like blow up snowmen. You're going to see some statues of Santa. And then probably as you go around looking at lights, you're also going to see a manger scene or two. You're going to see a manger scene in somebody's yard and maybe you'll see a few and maybe it'll be like Santa and then the manger scene or maybe it's just the manger scene, but you'll see a manger scene. And when you see that manger scene, most likely, it's, it's not super flamboyant. It's not like the Santa. It's not like snow blowing out of it like the snowman. It's more kind of gives off a more humble, kind of just quiet, kind of, it just seems right that it should be that way. And it's just, there, there's some honor that goes with that. And, and that seems right to us. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you, you're like, yeah, that's, the, the manger scene and the, the sand and all, the, the manger scene should be a little bit more humble, less flamboyant. That's just, just kind of feels right. Because every single one of us, again, even if you're, you don't buy into the whole Jesus thing, you were taught at some point that it was a silent night, that it was a holy night, that it was calm and bright. And, and again, even if you're watching online and you don't even buy into the Jesus thing, like you, you were kind of taught or that's kind of how you were brought up or that's kind of what you heard. And you, you probably got kind of strong-armed into going to some Christmas play for your niece or nephew that was going to be terrible acting, but you went because it was your niece or nephew, and and you saw little boys and girls dressed up like wise men and Mary uh, around this quiet, humble manger scene with uh, really probably a doll in it, not a real baby, and and that's just the way it was, and that's what we were taught, and that's kind of what we kind of think, even if we're not big Jesus followers. 
But, but here's the question, and, and here's the thing to think about. What if the manger scene wasn't silent? Like, like, what if it didn't smell fresh and clean like it did in the Christmas play? What if there was more going on than we could see? Like, like, what if I told you that the Christmas scene that you couldn't see looked more like a bloody MMA fight than a quiet nursery? What if it was different? See, the story of Christmas, honestly, it didn't start with a baby in a manger. It actually started with a couple and a snake. You're like, dude, I, I knew this church was a little weird, but now I'm, I'm, I'm wondering even more. Like, what are you talking about? No, see, the, the Christmas story, that little quiet manger scene that we look at, that's a little farther into the story than the beginning. See, see the Christmas story actually goes all the way back to a couple and a snake. And whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or whether you're somebody that's still kind of investigating faith and you're not really sure what you believe yet, I want to invite you to maybe look at this Christmas differently than you've ever looked at Christmas. And in order to do that, we need to go back to the beginning. We need to start with the couple and the snake if we're really going to understand what Christmas is and really gain what this season has for us to gain. In Genesis chapter 1, which is the very first book in the Bible, we believe that Moses wrote Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. So, so God, at the beginning of time, he says, and this is kind of the first time that you hear the Trinity referenced, and if you didn't grow up in church, that's that idea that God is three in one. God says, let's, let's create man in our image. See, man was like God because man could reason, man had emotion, man had intellect and will, he was also like God at the very beginning because man was sinless. When God created the first man and woman, for a time they were sinless. And so God said, let's make man in our image. And then he goes on and he says, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Not only is man going to be created in our image, but man's actually going to represent God on the earth. He's going to rule over the earth, over the animals, over the, the plants. He's going to rule over. And then, then it says this in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created male and female. And then you move into the very next chapter. And God says this through Moses writing in Genesis chapter 2. It'll be up on the screen. Verse 15, it says this, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And so you, I know you probably thought that, that work came after sin. Like, of course, work's no fun. Why do we have to work? Oh, because of sin and because of all that, all that. But actually work was a part of, of the creation and work was a part of the world and work was a part of representing God before there was any sin. 
And so God says, hey, let's take this guy, Adam, and we're going to put him in charge of this garden, and and he's going to kind of rule, he's going to reign, he's going to take care of this thing. And then it says this in verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So at this point, Adam, he understood, and, and this is, we can't even comprehend this. Adam understood only good. I mean, if if he failed this test that God was giving him, he would begin to understand evil. But at this point, he understood only good. And so it goes on and it says, For on the day that you eat from it, this tree, Adam, that I've told you, you can eat from all the other trees, but this one you can't eat. But if you do, you will certainly die. And the word die in this context basically has the idea of separation, either physical separation, spiritual separation, eternal. But Adam, if you decide to do what I've asked you not to do, and if you decide not to trust me and do your own thing and eat from this tree, there's going to be a separation. And again, Adam, he doesn't doesn't understand this yet. He doesn't have the context that we have. And so, okay, God, I can eat all these. Okay, good. And then it goes on and it says this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Adam was incomplete. And so he says, I'm going to make him a helper corresponding to him. And that word helper basically means, it means someone who provides strength in an area that is lacking. And Adam was lacking, and, and Adam needed some help. And every wife in here is like, to their husband, you, you, you need some help. Boy, that's why God created me to fix you. And Adam needed someone. He was incomplete. In fact, that word helper is actually a word that in other parts of Scripture is used to describe God. And so Adam, he's, you know, God understood, like he's a dude. So let me, let me make sure his food's settled first. So uh, Adam, you, all this food, buddy, you can eat it all. Just leave that one tree alone. All right, he's, he's good. But now, Adam, you, you need a little bit of help. You need some help, buddy. So let me, let me create somebody who's strong where you're weak, and, and that'll be a help to you. So this is the greatest Christmas present Adam could have ever received. And it says this, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from Adam into woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one, because he had seen all these animals, and none of them really look like me. But he says, no, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. And so, again, this is a glorious day for Adam. He's been looking at cows and lions and cheetahs and elephants. And it's like, they're cute and cuddly, but they're not like, I need somebody like me. And so God created woman, and now he's like, yes, this one's like me. All right. I want to cuddle with her. I'm, I'm this elephant, they're nice to have around, but I need somebody like me. And so he created, he created Eve. And, and this is in verse 24, it says, This is why a man leaves his father and mother 
and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and, wo- and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. So I, again, I want you to imagine a world. Adam and Eve, they only knew good. They, they were oblivious to evil. Their relationship with God and with each other was perfect. They had not experienced any perversion that sin brings. And so they weren't broken. They they didn't understand shame. They didn't understand worry. They didn't understand pain. Nothing was broken yet. We don't even have a context for, I mean, once in a while you, you might say something like, oh, that was the perfect day. And that's, you know, that means that was a pretty good day. But, but every day was a perfect day. There was no pain. There was no sorrow. There was no shame. Everything was perfect. There was no arguments. Their relationship with each other was perfect, with God. I mean, this is like every second is perfect. And then we get to chapter 3 and really the beginning of the Christmas story. It says this, and we don't, we don't have like context for like, was this like a day later, a year later? We just know this is what it says next in the Bible. In verse, uh, chapter 3, it says this, Now the serpent was the most cunning or, or shrewd, deceitful of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, and before we go on, Before we kind of get ahead, can we just stop for a second and admit how crazy this is? Like, how many women do you know that are going to cuddle up and have a conversation with a snake? Like, this is crazy. But in in this context where there wasn't fear yet, and this context where, you know, there wasn't pain, there wasn't sin, there was nothing to be afraid of, I guess it was fairly normal to hang out with snakes, And so Eve doesn't seem to be like running away or like, "Eh, should I talk to him? It just seems normal, which is weird for us to even imagine. But but this is the way it was. And so the snake, he he comes to the woman and, and here's what he says. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? See, the serpent... That, that approached Eve was a manifestation of Satan. And his desire is, was then and it is now to hijack God's plan and really just create destruction. That's what he's about. And the strategy that he started with in, in the garden is the exact same strategy that he uses in your life and my life. And, and here's the strategy. He gets us to question God. He gets us to question God, and that's what exactly what he did. That's what he was trying to do. He was trying to get Eve to question God. And so he's like, you know, it seems kind of lame that God would restrict you from eating one of the... Like, why would God do that? I mean, he's, he's, he's asking things, trying to make her think, like, like, why is God holding out on you? Like, why would God do that to you, Eve? I mean, did he really say this? I don't, I don't really know. Would God really hold out like that? And really what he was trying to get Eve to think is, can I trust God? Like, can I really trust this God? I mean, can I trust him? And he's trying to get Eve to question. 
Just like he tries to get us to question, whether we're watching online or here this morning, he tries to get us to question, is God really good? Is his way really the best way? Did God miss something here because I think I have a better plan or a better way? And that's what Satan's strategy has always been. And it's worked for thousands of years, so why would he change it? And that's what he's doing to Eve. He's trying to get her. He's not coming at her like with a pitchfork and fire. He's just coming to her subtly and saying, man, you really think God said it that way? You think, wow, that's weird that God would hold out on you like that. And he goes on and it says this. The woman said to the serpent, she kind of corrected him. Because he asked, like, you, you ain't allowed to eat all these fruits? She's like, no, we can eat of, uh, of the fruit from the trees in the garden, but there's just this one. She says, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die, which I don't even know what die means really, but that's what God said. Because Eve, she never had to put her dog to sleep. She'd never been to a funeral. And so this, God said, if we eat of that one, there's Satan. He, he, no, he's just trying to get her to question. And so he says this, no, you you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's basically saying, I don't, did God really, did he really say die? No, you, you won't die. Actually, You'll be more like God if you eat this fruit. It doesn't seem like God has your best interest because you're not going to die. In fact, for whatever reason, God doesn't want you to be like him because if you eat of this fruit, you'll actually be more like God. And so again, he's trying to get Eve to question. And so Eve, she's chatting with the snake. And then it goes on in verse 6, and it says, The woman saw that the tree was good. I mean, it looked desirable for food. And delightful to look at. And then it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. It's like it looks good. I mean, it seems like if I eat this, there's some wisdom or something good that's going to come out of it. And so she's kind of thinking about it. It's like the cheesecake sitting there. And man, it looks good. I ran this morning. So I... I don't think it's going to hurt me that much. And, you know, you've had, you probably had that at Thanksgiving. Second piece of pie. I mean, I'll be all right in my Christmas sweater if I eat that second piece of pie. I mean, you have these conversations in your head. And that's what she's kind of having that conversation with herself. And, and then it says this. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. See, Eve was deceived. She thought she was doing something that was going to be helpful. Where Adam, he wasn't deceived. He knew what he was doing. And then it says this, one of the saddest verses and really phrases in all of the Old Testament. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. See, at this moment, innocence was replaced by guilt and shame. They realized at that moment that they were exposed both physically, but they were also exposed spiritually 
and they begin to feel guilt, something they had never felt before. They begin to feel guilt and they begin to feel shame. And then it says this in verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, God appeared in the garden like he had probably done before. And if you, if you read through the, the kind of commentaries and what people think, this was probably Jesus. Because the scriptures say that no one has actually seen God the Father, but we know Jesus several times appeared even before he was born in the Old Testament. And so very likely this is Jesus that they have an opportunity to just walk together with. I mean, imagine that. And this seems fairly normal. Like Jesus is back down and he's, he's ready to hang out and, 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 and he's walking amongst and he's looking for his friends. And it says this, so the Lord God called out to the man and said, where are you? And, and obviously he, he knew where they were. He knew what they had done, but he was using this question to begin this discussion of what had happened. And it says this in verse 10, and, and he said, Adam, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you you were naked? Like you, you didn't even know that you weren't supposed to walk around without clothes on. Like, where'd you get that information? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to? Adam, you, you shouldn't even understand what it means to be afraid. Like, why are you afraid? Why are you feeling shame? Why are you, like, did you not trust me? And did you do what I told you you shouldn't do? And, and Adam, being the man of God he is, he stood right up and took the blame. Absolutely not. He says this. The man replied, the woman you gave to be with me. She gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Dude, I was just watching the game. I was just in, you know, the, like the fourth quarter of the play. I was so engrossed. And you know, Eve, the girl you gave me, she brought me this plate of fruit, dude. I didn't know what I was eating. Barry Bonds, I didn't know what they were injecting in me, man. Come on. I'm sorry if you're a Giants fan. Uh, but, but that's kind of what, he, and, and he's not just blaming Eve, he's blaming God. God, you're the one that gave her to me. What's up? Why'd you do that? Why didn't you give me a better one? She's the one that made me do it. He pointed the finger at God. And so, so the God turns to, to, to Eve. So the Lord God asked the woman, hey, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I mean, Eve pointed the finger at Satan and she's like, the devil made me do it. I was just hanging out, and it was the devil, and he made me. I didn't really know what I was doing. And, and instead of honesty and repentance, there was blaming others and ducking personal responsibility. There was shame. There was guilt. There was hiding. And so here's what God did. He said, he, said he talks to the, the snake. Stinks to be a snake because, like, because of this, all the snakes for the rest of time they get they get cursed. So, so it says this the Lord God said to the serpent, 
Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. So it's at this point that God curses the serpent for his involvement. And probably, and I wasn't there, but probably to this point, snakes probably had some kind of legs. And, and they obviously weren't hated at that point. But because of this sin and because a snake was involved in it, from that point on, they would slither on their belly and you and I would be disgusted by them. I mean, think about it. You see a kitten in your backyard, you're asking your husband, hey, you think we can keep that? You see a snake in your backyard, you're telling your husband, get the shovel. Like, we, we hate, we're not big fans of snakes. Like, why do we choose snakes to hate? Well, God's like, hey, I'm going to curse the snake. The snake's going to crawl on its belly, and it's just not going to be a popular animal. And, and we, we see that. But after cursing the physical serpent, God turns to the spiritual serpent, Satan, and here's what he says. And this is the first time that you hear God talk about what is coming. It says this. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike or crush your head and you will strike his heel. Basically what God's saying, he's saying, from now on, there's going to be a war. There's going to be a continual struggle between Satan, the, your followers and your forces, and between the children of Eve, basically between humans and between your forces, there's going to be this struggle that's going to go on. But one day what's going to happen, Satan, is you are going to take one of Eve's children in the future, and you are going to make him suffer a little bit. But he's going to suffer just a little bit. You're going to scuff his heel a little bit. But what he's going to do to you, he's going to crush your head. He's going to destroy you. And basically what God was doing is he was pointing to Christmas. And he said, hey, from now on, there's going to be a struggle. There's going to be a war. It's not going to be a silent night. It's not going to be a kind of quiet and calm. No, it's going to be bloody, and it's going to take people down, and it's going to go on and go on, and then something's going to happen. Somebody's going to come, one of Eve's descendants, and you're going to scuff his heel up a little bit. He's going to, he's going to hurt a little bit, but you're going to be destroyed. And what he was pointing to, he was pointing to the birth of Jesus. He was pointing to the life of Jesus. He was pointing to the death of Jesus. And he was pointing to the resurrection of Jesus. That when Jesus rose from the dead, this was the crushing blow to Satan's head. See, Christmas is not a time of joy and hope for the enemy. It is a reminder to him that he has been mortally wounded and is dying a slow death. This is, he hates Christmas. All Christmas does for him is it reminds him that he has been mortally wounded. Jesus rose from the dead and took his power and, and, and destroyed him. And it's basically, he's just dying a slow death. 
until Jesus is done with him. And so Christmas to him, it's, it's not a holy night. It's not a special night. It's not calm. It's a war. Because here's what he's trying to do. Though, though he's been defeated until he's ultimately destroyed, his goal is exactly the same as it was in the garden. He, he wants to hijack God's plan. He, he wants to bring about destruction. And his strategy is exactly the same as it had always been. His strategy is he wants you and I to question God. He wants us to believe the lies that he tells us. For Eve, the lie he was trying to get her to believe was, can I trust God? Is God holding out on me? But which leads us to an important question, a pretty personal question, and it's simply this. What lie do you believe? What lies do you believe? You're watching online or you're here this morning Satan's strategy is exactly the same. His strategy is this Christmas and next Christmas and all the time in between to get you to believe lies. Because he knows if he can get you to believe lies, he can destroy what God's trying to do. He can try to hijack it. He can try to stop it. He, he knows ultimately he's done. His head's going to be crushed. It's over. But until that day comes... He's going to try to take down as many as he can. And so he's trying to get us to believe lies. For some of you, the lie you believe is that your identity, your usefulness is in your work. It's in your parenting. Your identity is in something other than your relationship with Jesus. And you believe that lie and it's hard. You struggle. For some, you, you maybe you believe a lie that, that this addiction in your life, this pornography, this alcoholism, these other addictions, maybe things that nobody knows about that you've struggled with for years, you believe the lie that you can't get victory. And that's what he's trying to tell you. He's trying to tell you, yeah, you'll never get victory. You tried it the last time. You did that one program and you still fell. And so he's trying to get you to believe the lie. There's no victory for you. Maybe, maybe you believe the lie and he's trying to get you to believe the lie that you won't really reap what you sow. Like I can live my life this way and I'll be the exception to the rule. And no, it won't hurt my family down the road. It won't affect my future. I'm not going to reap what I sow. And he's just whispering that lie into your ear and you're believing it. Maybe for you, the lie you believe is that Jesus isn't the only way. And so he's trying to get you to believe, you know what? Jesus is a way, but there's other ways too. And he's trying to get you to believe that lie. See, he's really good at lying. But here's the question as we, we kind of close up. What if instead of listening to the lies of the evil one, you slowed down this Christmas and allowed the truth to transform your heart? Like, like we're, we're not going to have a different kind of Christmas by getting the latest gadget and making the lights on our house just look just right. I mean, those are all great things, but, but that's not going to make us anything different. We've, we've done that every year. But, but what's going to 
help us have a different kind of Christmas is if we, number one, identify the lies we are believing. And, and here's the thing. Some of us don't even know that we're believing lies. We've been believing them so long that it's just normal. Like we, we can't even identify it because we believed it for so long. And if we're going to have a different kind of Christmas, we've got to, number one, we've got to identify the lies we're believing and replace them with truth. And so here's what I want to encourage you. I want to, whether you are watching online or whether you're here, whether you've been following Jesus forever or whether you're not even sure what you believe, would you be willing over this next week to pray a simple prayer? Just, just between you and God. And you're like, I'm not even sure if I believe in God. Well, pray to the person that might be there. Would you be willing to pray this? God, show me the lies I am believing so that I can replace them with truth. Would you be willing to pray that? And if you're not believing any lies, then maybe you'll, you, God won't bring any to your attention. But here's what I, I, I believe that... If you pray that sincerely, whether you're 17 or whether you're 97, whether you've been following Jesus for 50 years or whether you're still investigating faith, I believe God will answer that prayer if you pray that this week. God, show me the lies that I'm believing so that I can replace them with truth. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks as we investigate how to have a different kind of Christmas is we're going to dig a little bit deeper into some of these lies that we believe and how we can replace them with truth. So as we close, the story of Jesus, the manger scene, it was quiet, at least that's what they've told us. It's the way it looked in the plays. But what we couldn't see is that there was a war going on. There was a war for the souls of men. There was a war for truth. And Satan's strategy from the very beginning until now is to get you to believe lies. Just like that's a strategy for me. And if we're going to have a different kind of Christmas... This has got to be the year that we confront those lies and replace them with truth. And the first thing we've got to do is we've got to identify them. And so let's take this next week and just ask God, God, show me the lies that I'm believing so that I can replace them with truth. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for... The story of Christmas, Lord, and, and, and we are thankful for the manger scene. We're thankful for the wise men. We're thankful for the shepherds, Lord. We're thankful for that special night. We're thankful for what it stands for. And Lord, it's so easy to go through this season and do all the church things and go to all the, the Christmas parties and buy the presents. And those are all great things and they're fun things to do. But God, I pray that whether we're somebody that's been following you for a long time or whether we're still investigating what we believe, I pray that we would take time to really look at why you came. At why you came to save us. What did we even need to be saved from? 
And Lord, I pray as every single one of us has a tendency to believe lies. Some of us this week have allowed lies to dictate how we've treated other people. We've allowed lies to dictate how we've handled money. We've allowed lies to dictate our levels of anxiety and a lot of things in our life. And Lord, I pray that this week you would help us identify the lies that we're believing. And Lord, that you would begin to help us to replace those lies with truth. And so that this can be the Christmas we look back on and say, this was a different kind of Christmas because of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you're doing in my heart. I pray that you would do something in the hearts of those that are listening. In Jesus' name, amen.